So we all hurt. We all hurt. But the thing is, we don't know what to do with hurt. We all hurt, but we don't know how to hurt. How do we hurt in a godly way? We all hurt, but we've been conditioned as human beings to just take that hurt and either one, bring it all in and let it sit in a negative, self-destructive way that speaks lies and does all these things into our heart, or we've been conditioned to put people in the crosshairs and pull the trigger and let it fire and let the anger and the anguish and all that pour out. We've been trained and conditioned to take hurt and use it in very strange ways. We all hurt, but how do you hurt in a godly way? How do you hurt in a way that honors God? That's what we want to look at. We're in the middle of a series called From Tears to Trust, where we're learning how to hurt in a way that is worshipful, how to hurt in a way that gives God glory, how to hurt in a way that honors him and brings healing. And we see throughout the Psalms this practice, not only just in the Psalms, but other places like Lamentations, this practice of a four-pattern move of turning to God, giving him your complaint, then asking, and then trusting. Last week, we covered the complaint part. Today, we're moving into ask. And we see that through this process, God brings us from our pain and our tears to trust in him. It's a beautiful gift we have. I remember growing up, uh, like some of you, I grew up Roman Catholic, and uh, my uh, parents would take us every Labor Day. We went to this one cemetery that was near our house, and there's a chapel in this cemetery, and Mass was always said in that chapel. And I remember it was a time where all the family would go. So I'd see my cousins, aunts and uncles, even uh, aunts and uncles I didn't see all year. But on Labor Day, that Monday, we'd gather at this chapel, and we'd, there'd be a Mass. And the Mass would be said in Latin unlike the masses that were said in English. And so it was hard enough when we were little and rambunctious for our parents to keep us still in a mass that's in English. A mass and in Latin was like an, a scaled mountain they could not climb. So they just let us run wild, just go. And, and so we would run through the cemetery and we'd go to the woods behind it. And, but we always came back after the mass and we always knew when it ended because this little chapel that was in this graveyard, it had a bell in the top of it. And they would ring this bell at the end of Mass and we'd come running. And then what they let us do is they let us go up into like this attic area of this chapel and we'd see the rope coming out of the ceiling. And they'd let us as kids pull the rope that would ring this bell. And we would get that thing going so hard. You'd grab that rope and go up and hit the top of the ceiling and come down. And so it was something we looked forward to every year. And we always went there and did that. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon says, prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely tug the bell for they pray so weakly. Others will give the bell an occasional pluck at the rope. And then he says this, but the one who wins with heaven is the one who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all of their might. The one who wins with heaven is the one who grasps that rope and boldly and with all power goes before God and gives him their request. 
Do you want to win with heaven? The way you win with heaven in prayer is to voice your asking to God himself. God longs that we ask boldly. He longs that we ask often. If Charles Spurgeon was here among us, he would say to us, Crossview Church, how hard do you pull that rope? Do your prayers ring boldly in heaven? Do difficulties intensify our boldness in prayer? Or when we hit difficulties, do they silence ourselves before God? Do they silence our mouths or do they cause us to go hard after God boldly? This morning, we're going to see that the Bible encourages us not just to ask God for help when we are in pain, but to ask him boldly to lament, to bring our pain to God and allow him to move in ways that carry us towards healing, that carry us towards trust. As we've been in this series, there's been a book that has been helpful called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And one of the things that this author, Mark Vrogop, says that's so true is that when we as human beings go through hard times, what helps us is that we have a person next to us who knows how to go boldly into heaven and pray. We want somebody around us who's this strength in prayer. We want somebody around us who we know that this thing called prayer isn't foreign to them, but it's something they do often. And we want to be in the presence of somebody who's boldly asking God to help us. You see, that's how we help someone who's going through hard times. We don't blow them off. We don't know what to do, so we run and hide. We go to them and say, I don't know exactly what to do, but let me pray for you. Or we write them a note saying, I'm praying for you. I'm keeping you in my prayers. Or we write a note, we just write out the prayer for them. During dark times, we want somebody near us who's strong in prayer. So let's learn how to do this better. As I said, we've covered turn, we've covered complaint, and now I want to cover ask. If you have a Bible, open your Bible to Psalm 22. I don't know if there's a better psalm that illustrates what asking bold looks like. We looked at turn, we looked at bringing our complaint to God, and now we're going to ask God boldly. Do you know that the book of Psalms is referred to as Jesus's prayer book? When Jesus was on earth, he knew the Psalms well. He would pray these Psalms often because he knew that when we ask for help in lament, it means we call upon God to act according to his character. We call upon God to be God. We call upon God to act according to his character. When we looked at the complaint part of lament last week, I said you could always see the complaint part in the Psalms because of the why questions and the how questions. God, why are you letting this happen? Why did this take place? Why? You see, that's the, the lament a complaint or how could you allow that to happen? What, you know, why and how marks the complaint parts of lament. When we move into ask, now we get to the who question. Who can help us? And so the psalmists, when they write this, they move into the who And when we look at Psalms of Lament, the writers, when they get to the ask part, they don't ask gently. They ask boldly. They ask with authority behind it. It almost seems like they're commanding God to act. 
And it's not out of an arrogance. It's out of a brokenness. But they know who God is. And they know his character. They know that he was faithful then. And he will be faithful now. They know that they can go to him and ask boldly. And when they ask, it almost brings all the energy of the pain of the lament and the things that bother us and releases it into the hands of God. And it does something else. The author of that book, Mark Vrogop, talks about how when we go before God and we ask, the pain that drives that ask is eclipsed by who God is in his character. The pain doesn't go away. But just like a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse, when the moon and the sun cover one another, the, when we go and ask God, our asking him based off of who he is, is like a cover of the pain. The pain and who God is are connected and brought together, and healing begins because our eyes shift from the pain and the hurt onto who the God is that we serve and how he loves us. The why is this happening moves behind who God is. I don't think we can find a more bolder ass in Psalm 22. Jesus, when he was in agony on the cross, he quoted this psalm. Jesus lamented. When Jesus was on earth and he experienced pain, he turned to God, he brought his complaint, he asked for help, and his heart was brought into trust. Let's look at the first two verses as David does the same. We see in the first two verses of Psalm 22, he kind of combines the turning and the complaint part. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. He's being gut level honest. He's pouring out who, this complaint before God. God, why have you disappeared? It feels like you're not here. He's being honest with God. And then all of a sudden, as he starts to shift into ask, there's one connection conjunction, one powerful three-letter word in verse three called but. He cries out in verse 2, My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night I have no rest, but you are holy. Enthroned in the praise of Israel. You see the transition it goes from complaint to ask with that bridge word. David acknowledges who God is by what God has done in the past. He goes in to say that you are holy and throne. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted you, and what did you do? You rescued them. They cried to you, and you were set free. They trusted you, and you were not disgraced. Are you in a place where you feel alone? You feel trapped? You feel like you need to be set free? David says that's where his fathers were, and when they cried out to God, he released them. He brought freedom. He brought help. He brought grace. David acknowledges God is who he is based off of what he's done in the past. And then now he shifts back into the complaint. You see in these laments, there's this process, but it goes back and forth. And in verses 6 to 8, I want you to see how gut-level honest 
David gets before God. I think if we understood how honest we can really be towards God, it would radically change our prayer life. It'd radically change our relationship with God. It'd radically change our behavior towards one another. Look at verses six to eight. He says, but I am a worm not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by people. See, he felt that by living a holy life, he could feel the insults people were throwing at him. He could feel the uh, mocking that goes on. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. And then he goes on to kind of say, here's what they say. They say, oh, he relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. He has like, he's telling what's going on in this mocking way to say, here's what's happening. Have you ever been mocked before? You probably never, have you ever been mocked, but you weren't there to hear yourself be mocked, but someone told you so-and-so, and you feel it. You know this is what they're saying. This is how they're talking about me. This is what there's going on. There's this injustice. I don't deserve this. David felt that, and what did he do? He brought it before God. He said, this is what's happening. He did that. He handled his hurt in a way that worshiped God, in a way that honored God. Do you see what he's doing? In his deep pain and his sense of abandonment, David anchors his soul in who God is and what God has done. In his deep pain and his anguish, David anchors his soul. He doesn't let his soul feed on the pain. He brings a complaint, but then he shifts and lets his soul be anchored in who God is and what God has done. I have a dear friend of mine, and he and his wife went through an excruciating thing that even perhaps some of you went through. They had a a baby girl, and she lived about 10 days, and then she died. And he told me, God gave us a gift to get us through that pain, that if it wasn't present, I don't know what we would have done. And he said the gift was this, that the church they were attending was doing a series on who God is the attributes of God, what God's like, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing. And then they had these small groups like we do here with life groups where they would talk and discuss about the sermon midweek. So he said, we were hearing what God was like on Sunday morning, then we were hearing it in our life group, and we had eight months of that leading up to the most difficult point of our lives. And he said, if we didn't have that, I don't know what we would have done. God in his sovereignty prepared them so that they could lament in a way where they knew who God was and they could call upon God based off of the character of God that they knew. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything you've stopped asking God to do in your life? Is there something that you used to ask God to do all the time, but he never did it? And so then you just stopped asking. It's almost like you just gave up on pulling the rope. You just said, I'm not going to pull the rope anymore because it didn't happen. Maybe God wants us to learn to bridge the pain with the reality that we feel, with the reality of who he is. Maybe he's calling you this morning to grab that rope again and start yanking on it, not based on the fact that he's going to change the pain and make it all go away, but based on the fact of who he is and what he has done for generations and generations. 
See, we don't pull the rope boldly because we believe that it's going to change all of our pain and make it go away. We pull the rope boldly because of who we're talking to. We pull the rope boldly because we're talking to the God of the universe who existed before time, who is here before we even were thought of, who controls all the universe, who's worthy of all glory and honor and praise, and who will have the final say at the end and will reign victoriously forever and ever. That's who we're talking to. That's who we're intimate with in our prayers. We can go boldly because that's the God we pray to. And then we see David, after saturating his soul with God's character and who he is, David goes on to make some very bold ask, and he pulls that rope hard. Look at verse 11. I love this verse. David says, don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Have you ever felt that way? Where you're just crying out to God and you're saying, be present because distress, hard times is here. It's nearby and there's no one to help. I need you here, God. Some mornings I wake up and I just say, don't be far from me. I need you. What a great prayer. Skip down to verse 19. He continues to ask God boldly, verses 19 to 21. But you, Lord, don't be far away. There's his ask. My strength, he calls God. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. He pours out his heart and asks boldly because he knows who he's talking to. He knows what God can do. After we turn to God, after we bring our complaint, we call upon God to act powerfully, to get involved, to intervene. I think we pray differently when we are in pain. We pray differently when we're desperate. We pray differently when there's no human being that can help. It highlights to us how out of control of our lives we really are. And when pain and suffering come into our lives, they demask, they pull away the things that we cling to when we think, I got this. And then when we don't have this, there's this exposing of our soul where this pain is just hanging there and we don't know what to do with it and it drives us back to our dependency upon God. Pain is a teacher that brings us into who God is and it highlights how we're not in control and we beg him to come in. As much as we like to believe, pain and trials can shake us to our core. But here's the truth. Pain and trials give us this beautiful opportunity to reaffirm our dependence upon God for all of life. Pain and trials give us this beautiful opportunity to say, God, I don't have it together. God, all the things that I've been leaning on in my life to kind of almost be like a drip of pain or drip of things that make the pain go away are not working. They can't sustain. Only you can do that. So I place my dependence upon you. Pain drives us 
to our knees, sweetly broken, acknowledging who God is. And we find him in that place. We find him in that place. David did that. That's what he did in this psalm. Now, some of you might be saying, all right, I hear you. You talk too much. Ask. I'll ask, but what do I ask? What do I ask? What do I bring before God? I get it, but what should I ask? I want to cover by looking at seven things we can ask based off the Psalms of Lament. I went through the Psalms of Lament, and I saw when they went from turn to complaint, and then they went to ask, and I highlighted that. I want to pull seven out. There's a whole lot more than seven. But I'm going to walk through seven things we can ask for when we are in lament, when we are in pain. After we turn, after we give the complaint, these are the things that we can ask. The first thing that we see that we can ask is we can ask God to fix what's wrong in the world. We can ask God to fix what's wrong in the world. Psalm 10, as we looked at last week, says, Rise up, Lord God. Lift up your hand. Don't forget the oppressed. When God moves and acts, it changes everything. So when something goes wrong in our world, how do we respond well? Do we respond in anger and picking sides and divide and throw out our opinions? No, our first step as followers of Jesus Christ, when things go wrong in our world, we turn to God. We give the complaint, the complaint that we would air out to everybody else, we air out to him and say, God, here's what's going on. And we ask him to move and intervene into the world we see and bring his justice When bad things happen, we ask him to enter into the situation, to intervene, to move. Number two, we can ask for help. Duh. What a great prayer. God, help me. That's a great prayer. It's this ask for help. Psalm 60, give us aid against the foe, for human help is worthless. Have you ever felt like that? that you are in such pain and such distress that human help feels worthless. It feels like nothing will do. And so what does the church do? We come alongside and say, hey, if you need something, let me know. But human help is worthless. As a church, we should go around and put our arm around that person and say, let's pray right now. God, will you come and I don't even know what to pray. God, will you come into this situation? We look to you. We know who you are based off of what you've done. Bring your help, bring your healing, bring your power in Jesus' name, amen. You see, we come along and bring God into it. We can ask him for help. Suffering always confronts our independence. Pain shows us how much we need to depend on God. And by asking God for help, not only are we begging for heavenly resources to come and meet us in this pain, but we are also reminding ourselves that he can be trusted. We're reminding ourselves of who he is. Just by going to him and asking for help is a declaration that he is the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. That asking for help isn't just asking for resources or requests. It's reorienting our hearts and our lives to what we know to be true as followers of Jesus Christ. Number three, ask that God would remember his promises 
Ask that God would remember his promises. Psalm 25, 6. Remember, Lord, your compassion. The psalmist says, God, remember. Remember your compassion. Remember your faithful love. For they have existed from antiquity. They existed for all times. Anytime you see in the Bible someone asking God to remember, it's not that God forgot. What they are saying is, God, I am trusting in what you said. They're asking God to be true to what he promised. God, you said this, so I'm asking you to be true to what you promised. And in doing so, they're reorienting their heart towards the truth. This request tells God, I'm trusting that what you said in your word is true and you've been faithful then, you'll be faithful now and I'm going to embrace that even in the midst of my pain, even if you never make it go away, I'm still gonna acknowledge who you are. Remember that your promise. Remember, Lord, your compassion. Remember your faithful love. It also places our eyes and takes them off the here and now but into a reality that's going to happen in the future it strengthens our faith it causes us to be people of faith who say that though the pain is here now and real there is a day coming when jesus is going to return he's going to set up his kingdom the new heaven the new earth where there'll be no more suffering there'll be no more pain there'll be no more evil that'll all be done away with and we will live forever under his rule and reign and the perfection of almighty god And when we go to this place and we ask him to remember, it reminds our hearts of who he is. One of the things that shakes my heart that I'm so quick to forget, and I think it shakes the heart of the church, in many ways we all have become so addicted to the here and the now. We become so addicted that the only life we see is the one before us. We forget all the promises God said about what's to come. And if you listen to all the hard questions, usually they're rooted in all they're seeing is the here and the now. And they're forgetting that part of the gospel is Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to vanquish Satan. He's going to set up his kingdom and he will rule and reign. He's going to take all the unjust things in the world and make them just and set up a powerful place for us to live under his rule. And in the meantime, when we experience pain and hurt, what do we do? We turn, we complain, we ask, and we trust. We lament. It's the tool that gets us from the time Jesus went to the cross and ascended to heaven and gets us through to the point where he comes again. Number four, we ask God to forget our sins. We ask God boldly, to forget our sins. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Sometimes the situation we find ourselves in that's very, very painful is a direct result of our sin. It's a direct result of our brokenness and what we did. David wrote this after he committed adultery and murder. And when we ask God to forget our sins and not remember them, we're not asking, what we're asking him is to not treat us like our sins deserve, but to be merciful. 
It's an appeal to God's mercy. It's an appeal to God's grace. And you know what? Here's the deal. There is an ocean, a vast ocean of God's forgiveness, a vast ocean of God's mercy, a vast ocean of God's grace. And when we're confronted from sin, the right true response is to repent and fall into that ocean. Why on earth, if we're confronted with sin, would we want to try to defend ourselves? Why would we want to try to say, well, yeah, the reason I do that is because this, well, that's foolish when there's this ocean of mercy, this ocean of grace, this ocean of forgiveness, just fall into it. That's the gospel. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to fall into that place and be healed and be forgiven. The heart of the Father is that we take what he gave us through the cross of Jesus Christ and we apply it to our hearts. We don't stiff arm it with all of our human excuses and our human defenses. Let them fall and fall in the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of your loving Father that he gave you through his Son, Jesus Christ. That's where the believer lives. And when you're in a spot where your sin and the pain of your sin is screaming at you, fall into the grace of God. Fall into the ocean of forgiveness. Fall into the deep, deep mercy. Number five, we ask God to restore us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved Psalm 80, verse 3, the gospel ultimately takes us to the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus returns. God saw us separated from him. He created human beings to be in relationship with him. The humankind rebelled against God in Genesis chapter 3. There was a, a brokenness that happened between God and the human race. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to heal that. He came to earth, went to the cross, took on our sin, absorbed the pain of God the Father, punishing his sin, gives us this offer of grace to come and live with him. And one day when Christ returns again, he's going to set the world in his throne up and he will rule and reign forever and And in the meantime, we lament for the day to come when he does that. So many times when we're experiencing pain and suffering, our hearts need to remember that this is just a minor brief time that God is going to come. And when he comes, everything's going to be perfect. Lament helps us yearn for the future reality. You can long for the restoration of your soul. You can long for your marriage to be restored. You can long for your family to be restored. You can long for your church to be restored. But don't forget to long for the restoration of the world when God comes and everything's brought under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Ask for that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Permanent removal of pain. Removal from all that is broken, bringing spiritual healing. Number six, ask God not to be silent, but to listen to you. Not to be silent, but to listen to you. Psalm 28.1, Lord, I call to you, my rock. Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent, I will be like those going down to the pit. If you look at these laments in Scripture, one of the things that stands out 
as you see them is how often God's silence is mentioned. That there's a silence from God that's mentioned, and you see that as you look through this. If you feel like God has been silent in something you've been asking for, don't stop asking. Pull the rope even harder. Renew that. Keep asking. Don't quit. Say with Psalm 86, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cries of mercy. And finally, number seven, ask for God to vindicate you. Ask for God to vindicate you. Psalm 35 says, Vindicate me, Lord my God, in keeping with your righteousness, and do not let them, my enemies, rejoice over me. One of the most personal requests you can give God, one of the most intimate things that can strengthen your relationship with God is when you ask God to defend yourself, when you ask God to be your defense, when you step out of the way of trying to defend and you let God move into that place and you trust him and you stay in the shadow of his wing and not reach out and defend yourself. If you've ever been misunderstood, if you've ever been falsely accused, if you've ever been gossiped about, if you've ever been treated unfairly, then you know the desire and the the feeling of wanting to set it all straight and wanting to declare what's true. And instead of going down a path of bitterness, instead of going down a path of fighting back and taking out the guns and shooting back with the ammo that they shot you, instead of doing that, let God vindicate you. Go before him, turn to him, bring him the complaint of what you're feeling, ask him to comfort you and set it straight and then trust him to do it. Lament. There was a time in my life some years ago where someone said something about me that was completely untrue. And it was bold, and they were saying it to lots of people. And lots of people, even in authority, were hearing this, and they were doing all this stuff. And they were saying things, and it wasn't true. And I had the bullet of truth. I had the one thing, the one piece of information they didn't have, that if I put in my gun and I shot like they shot back at me, It would silence all of it. It would vindicate me. I had the power to vindicate myself. And I'm I'm not proud of that because I was going to do it. There's only one thing that stopped me from doing that. I had a dear friend come and give me a gift. This friend said to me, hey, listen, what you have is true. And you could fire that shot across that bow and blow that up and stop this whole thing. But let me tell you something. You're going to play the same game they're playing with you. And then he said this. If you take the low road in this, you will regret it for the rest of your life. But if you take the high road, you will live with no regret. And it was so powerful. And it hit me. And so what did I do? Did I take that high road out of this willpower I can generate out of this self-determined idea, not at all. It drove me to my knees and I lamented and I said, God, will you do this? God, I take you and I give you even my desire to want to defend myself, to shoot the gun that shot me. God, I give you that. Will you move powerfully? And he did. 
And even if he didn't change anything externally, he moved in my heart to where I wasn't gripped by it anymore. I didn't need to defend myself because God came and brought healing. He led me to the high road. By his grace and mercy, he allowed me to act that way. And it was only, only because a gracious friend spoke truth. These are the things we can ask for and lament. But there is no limit. I gave you seven. There's so much more. And to sum it up, just when you are in pain and stress, ask God for his help. Ask boldly. Because as Christians, we can boldly go before the throne of God. It says in Hebrews 4.16, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can go boldly as Christians. What allows us to pull that rope with such strength? Who do we think we are to talk to God like that? It's not who we think we are. It's what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, who died for our sin, and in doing so allowed this whole thing to be set up where we can go before God in our pain and talk to him and bring him our lament. At the cross, he forgave us all of our sin, brought us into right relationship with God, and now we can boldly go before our Father in heaven and bring him all that concerns us. Not only did Jesus forgive us for our sin and pay for the penalty of our sin on the cross, but on the cross, he empathized with us. The verse before Hebrews 4.16 is Hebrews 4.15. And it says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. Why should we bring our heartfelt pains to God? Because Jesus experienced that brokenness. Why should we go to God with our pain? Because Jesus paved the way with the cross. Do you believe that? Do you know that he empathizes and sympathizes with all the pains you experience in this life? He does. We lament and ask boldly because Jesus understands deeply. We ask and lament boldly because Jesus understands deeply. There's no better thought for us to take into communion than that. That we lament and ask boldly because Jesus understands deeply. Jesus was a man of sorrows, it says in the Old Testament. He was a man of lament and he cried out using this psalm, My God, my God, why did you forsake me? He said on the cross, Jesus knows the pain of betrayal. Jesus knows the pain of injustice. Jesus knows the pain of false accusation. Jesus knows the pain of physical and mental illness. Jesus knows the pain of feeling abandoned. And as we move into communion, let's remember our Savior in his fullness. Let's remember that he cleanses us from our sins. Let's remember that he brings us into right relationship with God the Father. And let's remember that he empathizes with our pain and our hurt and our confusion. Let's run to him in lament. Give him your complaint. Ask him boldly because the heart of Jesus and his empathy will be moved to give you grace and mercy and he will cover you with his peace and you know what will happen your soul will find rest
because of who he is. I'm going to encourage you now to take your communion elements and I'm going to give you a moment to go before God. Maybe there's a sin you need to confess. Maybe there's a hurt you want to bring him into. Or maybe you should just look at that screen and read that and let that sink into your mind that we lament and ask God boldly because Jesus understands deeply. Take some time before God now. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Just like we take this cup. And after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new establishment of my relationship with you. Remember it. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sin who bore the penalty of our sin, who heals us from our hurts and our pain. God, we ask that you draw us deeper into the reality of the gift of the cross, that you would allow us not to stiff-arm it. And if there's things in our lives that stiff-arm us from your mercy and your grace, things that look so good, things that are counterfeit saviors, things that we run to besides you. God, would you dry those up and in your mercy turn us towards you that we may run to you boldly. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.